Well, good morning, Bay Hills. Grab the study guide that's in your program, and if you have a phone or a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 3. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, as you guys are turning there, I just finished watching a short kind of mini-series on TV. I don't know, I can't remember what channel it was on, but it was about the events that occurred on April the 26th, 1986, um, when the nuclear power plant Chernobyl in the north part of Ukraine basically had a disaster. Many of us might remember that in the news and such, but uh, it was a nuclear power plant. Reactors number three and number four uh, suffered a massive and catastrophic meltdown. They caught on fire. It resulted in what is considered today to be probably the worst uh, nuclear plant disaster ever. The uh, environment and how it was affected in that part of the world still to this day in the water and the soil is absolutely disastrous. The, this TV series, um, because it was based upon the actual events, it was very interesting, some of the things that I learned about, about that disaster. Um, for one, a very interesting detail is that the Chernobyl plant meltdown occurred, get this, during a safety test. They were actually going through the process and procedures to, to figure out and make sure the disaster never happened, and it was right in the middle of that. That, that it occurred. They also had a massive investigation in the Soviet Union to try and determine um, what happened. Of course, there was some cover-up and such, but to this day, it's pretty much understood that there were two reasons for the Chernobyl disaster. Number one is what they call production, which is very simply the production of the plant, how it was made, the, the materials that were used were just, they were not, they were subpar, not up to standard. So it was production. And the second reason was people. Uh, unprofessional people, inefficient people, inexperienced people. One of the other details that we learned from this show that I watch is that the man running the power plant that night, the Chernobyl power plant, had less than three to four months experience working at a power plant. And so they had all kinds of just issues going on. Uh, as people were a significant and contributing factor to the Chernobyl disaster, people also play a significant factor in the stress that you experience. Would you agree on that? It's a major stress contributor. We are in week two of our series called Stressed Out. Last week, we looked at what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount on stress. Then we jumped to Philippians, and we looked at Paul's plan for stress relief. Today begins the next four or five weeks where we are going to look at different causes of stress. And today, we're going to talk about one of the main ones, is that people, difficult people, produce stress in our lives. Now, depending on who you are and how you respond to different situations, there are all kinds of different types of stress-producing people. Let me give you some examples. Let's put it up on the screen. So you have dysfunctional people produce stress, and angry people produce stress, and touchy people produce stress, and demanding people, and selfish people, and sinful people, strange people, stupid people. You don't know any of those, right? Hard to get along with people. Then you got people you have unresolved conflict. That is very stressful when you have unresolved conflict with people. Different people, immature people, hurting people, overly needy people. You've got unproductive people produce stress, unprofessional people. Then you've got complainers and control freaks and ball droppers, hotheads, overreactors, people that have a sharp tongue, people who have a sarcastic tongue. All these kind of people produce stress. You're looking at that list, be honest. You're like, I work with like half of those kind of people, right? Live with the other half, right? People can produce stress. Speaking of that last one, sarcastic, uh, I had a situation what, back at Easter, just before Easter. We had the big event 
um, on Saturday, the big community event for the kids and the families. And uh, because I was, you know, had five services to preach on Sunday, they kind of didn't want me to do a lot on Saturday. But so my big work day was Friday. I was doing a lot of setup, getting stuff from here to Pinole Middle. And uh, so I was doing a bunch of tasks there. We were working for three, four hours. And one of the tasks that they gave me was to carry box after box after box of Easter eggs filled with candy. And I had to grab them from the pickup truck and whatever, and I grabbed to take them to the, to the soccer field. And I grabbed two more from the pickup truck, and I took them to the soccer field. And this went on and on and on. I was carrying two boxes per trip because they were about that size, so it was about up to here. You know, and it was just enough for me to see. Well, our worship pastor, Pablo Navarro, he was carrying three boxes, right? And so I was carrying two boxes, he was carrying three. I was carrying two, he was carrying three. And in one of the exchanges, one of the times we crisscrossed, he said this to me, I'm picking up your slack, Fossil. Yeah. He didn't refer to me as reverend or pastor or doctor. Those are the accepted ways to refer to God's anointed. No, no, just a sarcastic snide, picking up your slack, Fossil, right? I didn't say nothing. I kid you not. One, two seconds at the most after he said that to me. What happened proves there is a God. A good God. A loving God that takes care of the redeemed. Because as he was carrying three boxes, and I think it's because he was showing off. He couldn't see. And, you know, he's carrying three boxes. And he misstepped between the sidewalk and, and the landscaping area. There's a little lip. And he misstepped, and he, he kind of, it, it looked like he, like a boxer when he was, when, when a boxer's caught with an upper hand. He buckled a little bit, and he shook a little bit. And I watched like in slow motion, and eventually, <laughs> down goes Pablo. Down goes Pablo. And thousands of eggs were strewn everywhere, right? We actually have a picture of it. Look at, because I took my camera out. I was going to get this, <laughs> right? And the worst part was Josh Canham. You see him there. He's one of our staff members. He tried to help him. I'm like, no, God wants to teach Pablo a lesson. Let him be all on his own. That happened for like 15 minutes as I continued to carry two boxes after another, right? And and, and all because of what he said to me. That's what I think. That's why that happened, right? Okay, in all seriousness, he was not being disrespectful. It was a little fun, sarcastic, but we have that banter back and forth between coworkers and friends. Uh, But... To be honest, go back one slide, Evren. When you look at that list, sarcastic, overly needed, immature, dysfunctional, demanding, selfish, unproductive, control freaks, on and on and on, it's not that fun when you run into those kind of people. It produces stress. So why I might be making light of a fun conversation that, and an event that happened between me and a friend and a coworker, um, When we interact with those kind of people on a daily basis, it's not fun. It produces stress. And so today, what I'm going to try and do is what do we do? How do we respond so that that our stress levels don't create chaos in our life? Now, I I can't pick a story where all these examples are given. So I picked a story in Acts chapter 3 that's going to tell us the story of column number two, last one, an overly needy person. And as they come in contact with a couple of disciples, and we're going to use this story as a launching point to talk about all types of difficult, stress-producing people, and we're going to look at some principles on what do we do? How do we handle ourselves when these people come into our lives? Does that make sense? If you have your Bibles by now, you should have Acts chapter 3. I'm going to also read it for you, and then we're going to jump in and look at the principles. Here's what we read. At one, one day at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Peter and John were on their way 
into the temple for prayer meeting. That's going to become important a little bit later on. At the same time, there was a man crippled from birth being carried up. The temple was one of the best places to be dropped off and to beg for money because people were kind of in the right mood. They were going to church. They should probably give a couple bucks to the guy who needs it. Every day, he was set down at the temple gate, the one named Beautiful, to beg from those going into the temple. Now, first it refers to him as begging. Notice the second phrase that it uses because it gives us an indication that he may have been a little overbearing. When this guy saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he he asked for a handout. In other words, I, I want something, but I don't want to give anything in return. I don't want to work for it, essentially. I want a handout. Story goes on. Peter, with John at his side, looked at him straight in the eye, and he said, look here. The guy looked up, expecting to get something from them. There it is again. This kind of just, he's a little overbearing. Peter said, I don't have a nickel to my name, but what I do have, I will give you. So in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. He grabbed him by the hand, he pulled him up, and in an instant, his feet and his ankles became firm. He jumped to his feet and he walked. The man went into the temple with them, walking back and forth. He'd never experienced that before, dancing, praising God. Everybody there saw him walking around, praising God. They recognized him as the one who normally sat begging at the temple's gate, beautiful. They rubbed their eyes. They were astonished, scarcely believing what they were seeing. The man threw his arms around Peter and around John. He was ecstatic. All the people ran up to where they were at Solomon's porch to see it for themselves. There are six principles about what we do when we interact with difficult, stress-producing individuals. Here's principle number one. Don't be so surprised when life is unfair and people are difficult. So one of the phrases that we have right from the get-go is this, there's this beggar, and he's begging because he can't walk. And in those days, they didn't, they didn't really help folks that much to kind of engage them in, in, in work, because certainly guys like that could still work. And so they just put him begging. But it's the added phrase that kind of makes me sympathize with this poor guy. He had been a cripple. He couldn't walk since day one, since he was born. See, most of us take walking for granted because we've never experienced it. Maybe one or two days we get a bad busted leg or we're sick and we're in bed. We don't walk around. This guy had never taken a step. He'd never skipped. He'd never gone for a jog ever. And honestly, the more I just stay right there, not only do I sympathize with them, but I start feeling bad and I start feeling kind of sucky, kind of unfair for that. Ready? Welcome to life. Welcome to life. Life, generally speaking, is not fair. It's just, it's not fair. I read a story about a guy, heard a story about a guy who was uh, very proud of his landscaping, very proud of his plants and his grass and all like that. And so he was very frustrated because the dandelions kept growing up in his grass. And he used this product and that product and nothing worked. And he used that method and this method and nothing worked. Dandelions kept growing and kept growing. So finally, you know what he did? He actually wrote a letter to the United States Department of Agriculture explaining the problem he had with dandelions and giving the list of things that he had done to try and get rid of the dandelions. And I can't get rid of the dandelions. So he asked the Department of Agriculture, what should I do? To his surprise, they answered him. To the question, what should I do with dandelions? You don't want to know what the Department of Agriculture said? This is what they said. Try getting used to them. (laughs) Guys, you ready? Life's full of dandelions. I don't know how else to say it. You know what surprises me? 
I'm surprised that you're so surprised when you bump into difficult, stressful people. Some of us have such a high standard for people. We walk out this door and we actually think that everyone we're going to bump into is mature and godly and respectful. That's just not true. It's not true. And your expectation of having people so high is actually setting yourself up to encounter more stress. I'm not saying to lower your standard, but I guess I'm saying lower your standard. (laughs) There are difficult, stress-producing people everywhere you go. You will walk at that door and you will bump into them. And if it's in the parking lot, it's because they go to this church. (laughs) They're everywhere. Expect blood-sucking, dysfunctional, stress-producing people everywhere you go. Now, here's what's going to happen. When you go into life expecting it, you're a little more prepared for it. And just being prepared for it, it's not going to knock you off kilter as much as it does for many of us. They're everywhere. They're everywhere, okay? Principle number two, you need to pay close attention to your emotional and your spiritual gas tank. One of the, of course, the main guys in the story is the crippled man and Peter, but the added detail, it was Peter and John that were going to temple, and John. Now, these two guys, Peter and John, this was not uncommon to catch them together. For one, they ran a fishing business together before they became, became disciples of Jesus. Fishing business, they were in business together. These were the same two guys that Jesus instructs, okay, I want you guys to go, Go to the upper room, prepare the Passover meal, which turns into the Lord's Supper meal. It was James and John that were doing the preparations. When the women come back after the the, the Easter Easter morning and they announce to everybody that that the tomb is empty, two guys run to the tomb, Peter and John. And here again in Acts chapter 3, we see together Peter and John. These two guys spend time together, not just because they're ministry partners. You want to know why they spend time together? Because they build into each other relationally and emotionally. We would say, church talk, you ready for it? They bless each other. They bless each other. Now, here's what you need to understand. Point number one is you will constantly run into difficult people that stress you. And what I'm suggesting is you need to balance out your emotional sheet, balance sheet, and make sure you not only have people that bless you, uh, 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 stress you, but you also have people that bless you. And some of you are falling apart emotionally so much because all the people you hang out with are stressing you out. People at home and people at work and people in the neighborhood. And you have people in mind that could bless you. You're just not scheduling it into your day because that's what you literally have to do. Some people drain you and some people encourage you. Some people take from you and some people energize you. Question, do you have enough of those people? Because what I've discovered is because of our obligations in life, we allow all these people who take and take and need and need and take and take and need and need. And we don't have enough people that are building into us, not enough people that are energizing us, not enough people that are filling us. And that's why some of us are falling apart when we're bumping into these folks. Our emotional balance sheet is off kilter. It's not where it needs to be. Now, another interesting detail is it tells us not only what time it was, but where they were and what they were trying to do. They were heading to temple, to church, uh, to church essentially, for prayer. 
See, good Jews in those days were given four or five times during the day they were encouraged to pray. Three o'clock was one of those times. And so the, the disciples, John and James, uh, sorry, Peter and John are heading to church. They're heading to temple to pray. Now, I know I shouldn't think this, but I'm going th- to say it anyway. My gut, when I think of these two dudes, if there's anybody that doesn't need to pray, it's them. They just spent three years with Jesus, being mentored by, coached by, and discipled by Jesus. If there's anybody who doesn't need prayer, it's these guys. But their actions tell us that even they understand how critically important and vital prayer is to your spiritual emotional tank. And not just prayer, but going to church and reading your Bible and giving and worship and serving, and youth group. There's all these things that feed your spiritual tank. You need to have your, filled, your tank filled up. Now, let, let, let's talk about, do you, you remember last week, I gave you a list of all the top causes for stress. Let me put it for you on the screen. One of them is people. But there's all these different things that can produce stress in your life. Now, here's what's interesting. Have you noticed that you can have two people go through the exact same thing and they respond differently? Same situation. They both lose their job. They both have health issues. They both have financial issues. They both have marriage issues. They both, whatever. They're going through the exact same thing. One of them falls apart emotionally. One of them is just curled up on the couch, doesn't know what to do. And the other one, same situation, it still bothers them, it still affects them, but they're stable. They're on their feet. Question why the difference? Why does someone fall apart and the other one is stable? Why? You want to know what the answer is? It's emotional and spiritual maturity. How full is their tank of the Holy Spirit and Jesus when those stress situations come upon them. That will determine where you're out, on the couch or on your feet, when these difficult situations, difficult people come your way. But let me, and let me end this point by referring to your actual gas tank. There are some of you, like my wife Sandy, driving around the car, when the gas tank gets to half full, you want to know what Sandy says? It's about time to fill up the tank. And then there's others of you. The line gets to E, and you're like, you know, no, if I look at it from here, I think I still got about, about half a day, easy, right? Or like, I don't need to stop. For I don't care what you do with your actual car, but don't, don't do that with your emotional and spiritual tank. You, you need to be much more of a, oh, I'm at half full, I need to fill up again. Does that make sense? I care less what you do with your car. Number three. Be okay with boundaries, limitations, and consequences. You got to be okay with boundaries, limitations, and consequences. Now, I gave you the definitions because it's very important that you understand the difference. They're all cousins, but they're all different. The first one, I have there the definition because it shows up in our passage. So a limitation is when someone comes to you, they need something from you. They want something for you. Maybe they're, they're overbearing. Maybe they're super needy and they're creating some stress in your life. Limitation is you saying to them, there are some things I can't do for you. 
Now, let me show you how this shows up in our story. And you have to read the passage in a nuanced way. You have to be, you have to have sharp eyes when you're reading and understand how people speak. The beggar asks for money. And do you remember what Peter's first response to him is? Remember, if you grew up reading King James or you grew up reading NIV, the phrase is gold or silver I do not have. That's the phrase. We even sung a song about that growing up as kids. Gold or silver I do not have. The translation I gave you, the verses that I put up on the screen, said it a little bit differently, same meaning, but it was this. I don't have a nickel to my name. That's what Peter says to this guy. Question, is he being truthful literally? Does he literally mean when I'm done with prayer at at the temple, I don't even have enough money for Starbucks? Is that what he's literally saying? I have nothing in my wallet. I have nothing in the bank account. I have zero money. Is that what he's really saying? No, no. It's a figure of speech. What he's saying, and we know from Acts chapter 2 that the Christians in that day, they were poor. They were kind of comboing their resources. They were sharing with one another. They had limited resources, but they didn't have zero resources. What, what Peter's essentially saying is this. Clearly, I can see you could use a few bucks. I see that. I know that. But I'm very quickly calculating, and I know how much I have in my wallet. And I realize, I, I, honestly, I don't even have enough for the car payment, enough for the apartment payment. I don't have enough for groceries. You know, I, I, I need a new pair of tennis shoes. I don't even have enough for that. You know, and, and so I have enough for about one or two days, a little bit for food and you know, gas for the car. I have, I have just limited money in my wallet. And so I'm quickly calculating and I'm deciding, I, I really can't help you. Why? Because I have a limited amount of money. That's what he's saying. Guess what? God expects you to help other people and be generous toward other people. That's coming a little bit later here in our points. But right now, here's the point. You also have limited resources. You have limited money. You have limited time. You have limited energy. You can't help serve everybody. Some of you, you have so many stressful people in your life and not enough bless you people in your life that if someone else showed up and wants to be on this list over here, what you should do for your own mental health is say, I can't do that. I can't take on someone else. I don't have it within me. Why? Because limitations are okay. Limitations are okay. You do not have unlimited resources. Now, the second one is a little bit different. It's boundaries. Now, if the first one, limitation, says there are some things I can't do for you, boundaries is there are something I won't do for you. It's fundamentally different because, watch, I have money in my wallet. I could help you. I could give you time. I could give you energy, but I'm choosing not to anyway. Why? Well, when it comes to boundaries, think property line. Property line. Think of your house. Think of Saturday morning when you go out to mow the lawn right? You know there's a property line between your property and your neighbor's property. It's about right here. You know, I put my garbage cans right here. He puts his garbage cans right at the property line. Even though the, the grass kind of overlaps, this is the property line right now. Here's the question I have for you. On Saturday morning when you're doing your grass and you're, you're mowing, do you mow your neighbor's lawn? I mean, not unless it's kind of a senior uh, elderly person you're trying to help out. You don't. I mow my lawn, They mow their lawn. Why? Because there's a boundary. There's a property line. And when it comes to relationships, this is what boundaries say. Boundaries say, 
I could mow your lawn. I have the time. I have the resources. I got my lawnmower right here. But I choose not to if you have within yourself the ability to mow your own lawn. Does that make sense? You could do it. Why aren't you doing it? Now, I'm going to tell you where this plays a part, especially this comes into play with family and close friends, people you want to help. I'm going to give this much. No, I'm going to give this much. No, I think I'll give this much. But then at some point in time, what you need to decide in advance is that this is our boundary. This is how much we give. We're not going to go out here. Why? Because then you start playing the game, what is called codependency, and you actually contribute it to their dysfunctional behavior because you keep bailing them out. Sometimes for their sake and for your sake, your own marriage, you have to say there's boundaries. I'm going to give this much and no more. And it's hard. It's really hard because it feels like you're being mean, right? Now, it can't be this boundary if you've got a small little boundary, you've got to expand it a little bit more. But there does come a place, and it's okay to say boundaries. So limitations. There's some things I can't do for you. I have limited resources. Boundaries. There's some things I won't do for you. Now watch. Last one. Consequences. There are some things I'll allow or let happen to you. Let me explain how this one works. If you're a reckless driver, if you goof off at school and never do your homework, if you misuse your company's expense account, if you're always calling in sick to work even when you're not really sick, if you drink alcohol beyond what is healthy, if you cannot control your eating, if you don't build into your marriage, if you don't keep a tight rein on your tongue, and I could go on and on, eventually you will get to experience the consequences of your unhealthy, ungodly behavior. Don't be fooled and tricked by watching someone that lives unhealthy, lives ungodly, lives unhealthy, lives ungodly, and everything seems to be going well. It's going well today, but what this book says is that eventually, at some point in time, God says, a man reaps what he sows. It's a farming principle. If you throw out this kind of seed, that's the crop you're going to get. If you all throw out that kind of seed, eventually that's the crop you're going to get. If you live unhealthy, dysfunctional, ungodly, eventually that's the crop you're going to get. Now, consequences says this. Consequences says sometimes I'm going to let you experience the consequences of your actions. Now, I'm going to give you my opinion I'm going to make a big deal about the idea that there's a difference between the, the pastor's opinion and God's word, okay? So just so, so we're clear, this is not necessarily God's word, this is just my opinion. My opinion is that one of the biggest relational mistakes we parents make is we keep bailing our kids out from experienced consequences of their own actions. They make a mistake, they get in trouble with the law, they get the third ticket uh, after they've had their license for a couple months. They get into a fight at school. And our instinct as parents is to try and get them out of trouble. And what I'm suggesting is if you keep doing that over and over and over again, what you're actually teaching them is that life doesn't have consequences. You're actually tricking them because this book says, no, there are consequences. And maybe the best thing for us to do is to allow them every once in a while to experience the consequences of their bad decisions so they learn a lesson and they don't do it when they're adults. 
we have grown up with a generation of mommies and daddies that keep bailing their kids out and they're paying the price for it. Sometimes, let them experience the consequence. And it is hard because you love them. And you don't want them to hurt. But sometimes you got to learn the lesson. There are consequences. So when it comes to difficult, stressful people that create angst in your life, you have to be okay with limitations and with boundaries and with consequences. And you have to use wisdom to decide what, when, and how. The last three points I'm going to cover real quickly, but they have to do with um, our response to difficult, stress-producing people. And to set up the next three points, I'm going to have you watch a short clip from a movie. It's a movie. I was talking to a friend of mine, Bill Davis, and he and I were talking about movies when we were teenagers and such. And we got talking about this one movie I'm going to show you a clip from. It's, It's about a therapist that takes on a new patient. And this patient has tried this therapist and that therapist and this therapist, and they've all been bad. And he goes to this new therapist, but he's so needy, and he's so overbearing, and he's just unbearable. He actually ends up driving the therapist crazy, right? And the therapist turns the tables on him, and he just wants to go get this guy. It's with an actor that you know. His name is Bill Murray. The movie is called What About Bob? The the, the, um, clip we're going to watch, it's not great quality. It's a night clip, so it's kind of dark. But the clip is entitled Death Therapy. Watch it, and then we'll wrap up. Okay. 
Well, maybe not literally. Huh? How many of you would like to implement death therapy on some of the people in your life? I was uh, 16, and I was sitting where you were sitting. I was at church, and my pastor said what you have on the screen, and it always stayed with me. It was so helpful. When you're dealing with difficult situation and difficult people, what you always need to remember is that your response to that difficult, stress-producing person is your responsibility. Oh, they made me, I said this because they, no, no. Your response is your responsibility. And when you have difficult people that produce stress in your life and angst in your life, you're going to choose, am I going to respond to the situation or am I going to react to the situation? If you react to the situation, what you're essentially doing is you're allowing them to control you. You are giving them power over you. Or you can choose to respond to the situation. If you respond to the situation, you control you. So as we wrap up and we talk about what what has God wanted you to do, because we've been talking about perspective issues up till now. Now we're talking about what God wants you to do. I'm going to give you three things, responses that God wants you to do when you have difficult, stressful people come into your life. Let's go through these quickly. Number four is remember God's call on your life to help and love others. So I've set up that this individual that I feel horrible for is nevertheless overbearing. He's overly needy. He's just, you know, asking for a handout, right? It's hard, right? But one of the great verses is in verse 7 where Peter and John reach down to this guy and they help him to his feet. God's call on your life as a follower of Jesus Christ is to reach out and help people up. Rewind the tape the last week, last two weeks, and question, how many times have you done that? How many times have you reached out to someone that needed help and helped them up to their feet? Because that's God's call for you. Today isn't about me giving you little tricks to avoid stressful people. I'm giving you perspective, but now here's the perspective. God wants you and he wants me to help them. I, I had 15 verses. I had to keep cutting, cutting, cutting. I'm just going to read three or four of them to you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. Don't forget to do good and share with those in need. That pleases God. I find it interesting that the writer of Hebrews would start by don't forget. Why does he start that way? Because he knows how some of us are. We have forgotten. God's call on my life is to help people. We've forgotten. John chapter 15, Jesus says, I want you to love each other just like I I have loved you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, I say to you, love your enemies. Certainly that includes stressful people. Proverbs chapter 3, listen to the limitations in this verse. Proverbs 3, 27, do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to help them. Sometimes it isn't in your power, but when it is, help them. Last verse, John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. 
Jesus has a conversation with his followers, and he says, check this out. You want to know how people are going to know and guarantee that you're a follower of mine, that you're a disciple of mine? It's not if you fill out the notes at church. You want to know how people are really going to know? If you show love. If you care for people. If you help people. One of the interesting things about doing that, helping someone that's needy, helping someone that produces stress, helping someone that's difficult, helping someone that doesn't deserve it. What's interesting is when you do that, you know what this story teaches? I didn't read the verses to you, but you want to know what happens right after this story? Everybody who sees this guy who got healed, everybody, they come up, not to the crippled guy, they come up to Peter and John and say, tell us about this Jesus who healed this crippled man. When you show love, care, compassion, and help to people who don't deserve it and are difficult, you gain an audience and an open door for people to say, tell me about this Jesus. Tell me about this God that has motivated you to do what none of us would otherwise do. Point number five is be aware of why God allows difficult people in your life. Paul says in Romans 5, we also glory, which means we should be thankful for. We are thankful for and we glory in our sufferings, difficult situations and difficult, stressful people. You should be happy for that. Why? Well, he says, because we know that suffering or difficult, stress-producing people produce perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. You see, God... God's goal for your life is not necessarily and primarily for you to be happy. While he certainly wants you to love life and enjoy life, his primary goal for you is that you be godly. He wants you to be more like Jesus tomorrow than you were today. That's his goal for your life and for my life, right? So he gives us opportunities to practice. Now, here's what God does. When every time we learn something, like today we're, we're learning how to deal with stressful people, what he does He does it every time, is that after we've learned something, guess what he does the following days, the following weeks? He gives you the opportunity to practice what you just learned. Guess what's going to happen this week? Yeah, thank you, Pastor Dave, yes. Out of the weeds, are you going to have difficult, stress-producing people, and God's going to give you the opportunity to practice your faith. Because his primary goal is that you be like Jesus. And the way you grow in your faith is that he allows you to be stretched. Never stretched beyond snapping, but stretched. So be, expect it. It's coming. Okay? The last point that I'm going to leave you with is this. Number six, you have to have the courage to admit that you also can be difficult, you can cause stress, and you can also suck the life out of others. Oh, snap, it just got real. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, he's talking about me. Go ahead and do that right now. That's right, I'm talking about you. Isn't it easy to go, oh, yeah, thankful. I'm thankful. Dave, pastor's going to talk to me about how to deal with all those other stressful people. Guess what? Sometimes that's you. You're the difficult person. You're the one that's causing stress. We're talking about you behind your back. Do you have the courage to admit that? Let's just end with this. Who's the main disciple in this story? It's Peter. Now, I got to tell you, Peter's one of the good guys in this book. 
He really is. He's one of the 12, only 12 disciples that are selected to be mentored and coached by Jesus for two, three years. You got you to gotta have some, something special within you just for that. But, but I want to add one detail. I, I think so many of us forget. When Jesus dies and it raises from the dead, he has a, a, a last little huddle meeting with his team, with the disciples. And before he leaves, you want to know what he says? He looks at Peter and he says, okay, I'm about ready to leave. And he says, upon Peter, this rock will I build my church. He's the leader. He's the foundation of the church. When there's an issue, go to him. He's a pretty special guy. He's one of the good guys. He's one of the people that blesses. But you want to know the flip side of the coin? He was also someone that stressed. He's the same guy every single time putting his foot in his mouth. Every time. That's Peter. He's the guy. Not once, not twice, but three times denies Christ and turns his back on him just before the resurrection. Peter is the guy in a fit of rage. He cuts a dude's ear off. I mean, that makes me want to camp with Peter because he's got all kinds of great stories. But he could bless people and he could equally just as much stress people. And so can you. So please don't make this morning just about everyone else. Yes, there are others that are stress producing. This morning is just as much about you and about me as everyone else. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you promise us and give us the opportunity to experience the peace of God and peace with God. Father, I pray as we uh, take what we've learned and we apply it to our life, we especially remember this last principle of um, evaluating our own lives, uh, watching what we say how we say it in our words and our actions to make sure that we're not producing um, difficulty, challenge, and stress in other people's lives. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. amen.